but uh, we are thrilled to have you this morning. The Easter story. Uh, this morning, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to read a past scripture. We're going to talk about it, and then I'm going to try to illustrate for you the Easter story, hopefully in a way that you will never forget. But uh, uh, I want to look at the Easter story. There's, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, as, they, as, as the Gospels talk about the death of Jesus Christ and his burial and his resurrection, everybody takes a little bit different point of view. So this morning we're going to look at Matthew. Matthew is trying to present Jesus Christ as king. So in Matthew's account, you see a lot of Jewish references, and that's going to kind of be important with what we talk about this morning. But uh, let's read it. It'll be up on the screen. Matthew um, chapter 27. Here's what it says. Um, let, me, let me give you, let me set up the story for you. Of course, Jesus has gone through the whole Passion Week. He has um, been turned over to the uh, Jews. He's gone back and forth. He's been beaten. He's been scourged. He's carried the cross. He's been nailed to the cross. Um, and he is on the cross at this point. This is the last part of the thing. And we're going to look at this in two ways. We're going to look at Christ before he died and then Christ after he died and the events. But here's what it says. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cries with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah or Elisha, and immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine and vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So all of those events are taking place before Jesus dies. And then we have Jesus giving up his life. We'll talk about the significance of that in a minute. And then, notice what happens. These are the events that now follow. And he says, uh, But when Jesus cried again, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those that were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified. And they exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And then it goes on. And as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself became a disciple. Going to Pilate, he asked for the body, Jesus' body. And Pilate ordered that it be given to him, and Joseph wrapped and took the body, took the body, wrapped it in a clean cloth, placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of a rock, and he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and they went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. And after the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, don't be afraid. For I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He has not risen, or he is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. 
There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren, my brothers to go to Galilee. There you will see me. That's the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I want to highlight a couple of things, and then I want to try to illustrate it for you. Um, you see a number of miracles when Jesus um, is um, alive on the cross. Uh, you see a number of unusual things happen. One of the things that happens is that <clears throat> the earth becomes dark for three hours. Uh, without going into all the theological implications of it or anything else, here's what people believe happened at that moment. They believe that at that moment, the sin of the world was placed upon Jesus. And at that moment, Jesus was bearing the sins of the world. And that God could not look upon his own son. Martin Luther upon reflecting on this passage, stood in a, in a window for a long period of time, kept saying this, God forsaken of God, I will never understand it. Because as you see in the passage, Jesus Christ cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And at that moment in history, what would have happened is that God the Father would have turned his back on God the Son because God the Son was bearing your sin and mine. He who is sinless, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And so at that moment, God the Father turns his back on God the Son, and it says, and it's very specific, it says, and Jesus gave up his spirit. You need to understand this. Jesus' life was not taken from him. The only reason we die is because of sin. And because Jesus had never sinned, there was no reason for him to die. So he took our sins upon him, and then he willingly gave his life for us. And at that moment, all of history changed. The earth could not contain it. The earth shook and, and, and violently. In fact, there are two occasions in this story where the earthquake, uh, Bible scholars believe that this was literally a redemption of the earth, not just of, of mankind, but it was a, a, a violent shaking of the earth. He says that the temple curtain was rent in two from top to bottom. Uh, if you understand the tabernacle in the Old Testament, in the temple of the New Testament, what happened is there was a, the people were out here, and then there were the priests, and then there was the Holy of Holies. So there was the holy place and the Holy of Holies. The people were out, outside, and then you have the priest ministering, and the priest could go into the holy place. But then there was this huge curtain between the holy place and the Holy of Holies. God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. So you can imagine, by the way, in the Holy of Holies, the priest only went in one time a year, the Day of Atonement. So all of a sudden now you can imagine that, by the way, this was Passover time. So there was a lot of temple activity. You can imagine the priests who were going back and forth, taking the offerings into the holy place, going back and forth, doing the holy place thing, doing the outside thing, doing the, the sacrifice thing, doing the, going back and forth and back and forth. And all of a sudden they walk in and the curtain is torn in two, and there standing in front of them is the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God. Most of them would have thought at that moment they would have died because no man saw God and lived. But what happened is when Jesus died on the cross, what God was saying is, look, no more is there a separation between me and you. You have direct access to me. That's why later in the New Testament it says that we can boldly go into the presence of God as believers today. 
Because when that curtain torn, that was God's way of saying to the world and to the Jewish world, look, no more. There's nothing between me and them. No priest, no sacrament. No, no, no. It's me and them. It's that personal relationship that they can have. And then it talks about the idea that uh, the, the, earthquake, the earth shook. And then it talks about the idea that the saints were, that were holy saints that were resurrected. And that when Jesus Christ is resurrected, not only is he walking around alive, but there are certain saints from old that are, have been resurrected and are walking around too. And let me tell you something, that would have made a difference. That would have made a huge impact on people. Um, let me give you a little bit of background to help you understand why, and then we'll, we'll, we'll make this a whole lot clearer for you. Um, in the, during this time, uh, you have to put yourself in the mindset of the people involved. Um, to the Romans, Jesus was a problem. Because a lot of people were following him, and Rome didn't want anybody following anybody but Rome. So when all of a sudden a lot of people start listening to this guy called Jesus, he's a threat. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had a big problem with him because he was teaching them things that were against what they were teaching people. So they looked at him as a threat. The Pharisees believed that there was a resurrection and that everybody was going to be resurrected. The Sadducees believed that there was no resurrection. So in the religious world at the time, you have one group, one main group going, there's a resurrection. You have another main group going, there's no resurrection. <clears throat> a week, a couple of weeks before, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And it was kind of hard to go, there's no resurrection when there's a dead guy alive walking around. So their conclusion was, let's get rid of the guy. That's, that, that's why the Pharisees wanted him gone. The Sadducees, they, they had a problem, you know, they were like, well, you know, there's no resurrection in that, so they don't like the guy. So they're trying to get rid of him. And Jesus now, and Satan, by the way, who's a big player in this whole thing, he wants to get rid of him too. And so the issue is when Jesus dies on the cross, Satan feels like he's won, the Pharisees think they won, the Romans feel like they won, the, fat, the Sadducees feel like they won. Everybody thinks this is done, this is solved, we win. What they didn't understand is Jesus was God. And even a centurion, a Roman pagan centurion, standing at the thing and says, surely this must have been the Son of God. We've never seen anything like that. And Jesus comes out of that tomb on that morning, and he literally rocks the world of everybody involved. Even the disciples. The disciples, their world had been shattered. They'd given up three years to follow this guy. And now all of a sudden they watched him die on a cross. And when Jesus finds the disciples, you know what they're doing? They're bolted, they bolted the door, they're hiding because they know if Rome and the Pharisees and the Sadducees killed Jesus, guess who was next? So they're hiding. Even Mary and Martha and, and, and all of the Marys, that they come not, not to see a resurrected Christ, they come with spices to anoint his body, his dead body. And all of a sudden they come to the tomb and he's gone, and you know what? Read the other gospel accounts. You know what their first question is? Tell us who took his body. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. Nobody took him. He is risen. He is alive. Death did not win. The Pharisees didn't win. The Sadducees didn't win. The, scri the scribes didn't win. The, the Roman didn't win. Satan didn't win. 
because he's alive. And now all of a sudden, these disciples, when he appears back to them, they have hope that the grave does not end life. They have a future. They have a purpose. They then go from here, and many of them give their lives for this message of a resurrected Christ. And you can imagine how Rome felt now. Because then you know, if you know anything about history, Rome is going to allow this Christian thing to go on for a while, and then they're going to try to squash it. And the disciples go boldly forth and say, you know what? He is alive, and this is real, and this is what this thing is all about. We get it now. And it gives us hope. So the beauty of it is that now, when I go to the funeral of a believer, and I stand at the graveside of a believer, I don't stand there without hope. I don't stand there thinking it was goodbye. I don't stand there thinking I'll never see them again. I stand there knowing there is a future, there is life past the grave with God. And so that's the Easter story. And that's what this thing's all about. Um, I I really this morning kind of wanted to illustrate it for you. And I tried to think of, I, I worked really hard to illustrate it in something that I thought would be something you would never forget and always remember. So bear with me, but um, I'm going to use a chair, first of all. I'm going to use two chairs. Um, I figure at some point today, you're going to sit down. Uh, you're going to sit down to eat. You're going to sit down when you get in your car. So I'm hoping that God will use it in your heart, your life, that every time you see a chair, you will go back to thinking about this. And then I figure that most of you use a towel at some point during the 24 hours of a day morning, whatever. You shower, you wash your hands before you eat, you use a towel at some point. So I'm going to use these two common items every day to try to illustrate Genesis through Revelation, right? So uh, bear with me and and hang on, and I think you'll get it. Um, In Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3, when God creates the world, God creates the world, and then one of the last things that God does is he creates man. And the reason he creates man is because he wants fellowship with him. So we're going to let this chair represent God in his holiness, his righteousness, his perfectness, his purity as God. Okay? And we're going to let this chair represent Adam, his creation. He created man in his own image, in his own likeness. When he creates him, Adam is also absolutely perfect and righteous before God. And the reason God created Adam was God wanted fellowship with Adam. And the Bible says in Genesis that they walked together in the cool of the day, that they talked, that they had incredible fellowship one with another, because they could. They were both righteous. And then, you know the story, Satan comes along with Eve, and he deceives Eve, and he gets Adam to choose. He goes, it was the woman's fault. No, it wasn't. Um... It was the man's fault, because you read your Bible very carefully. Because the Bible says that, she was, that he was there. It says, and she did eat, and she turned and gave to her husband, and he did eat. So he was sitting there all quiet. So they're both just as guilty before God. But Satan came along and said, look, let me show you a different way. You don't need to listen to him, because he's not telling you the whole story. You see, he knows that you can have a better life. 
He knows that if you eat, you will become as gods, and you will be like him, and he's scared of that. That's why he's told you not to eat of that tree. That's why he's told you. He doesn't want what's best for you. I want what's best for you. Listen to me. And man said, you know what? I think this guy might have a point. And so the man decided, you know what? I'll take that. And so what happens is, man no longer is righteous, but now man has chosen sin. Now here's the problem. God is of purer eyes than to behold sin. And the one thing that sin does when it comes to God is it separates. So what happens now is, in this story, what happens is, Man now is separated from God because of sin. And so God, looking at this picture, desperately wants what he originally had. He's dying to have that. He wants that more than anything. That is his greatest desire because he knows this is the best way for man to live. So God says, I'll tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to the earth. As a man. But I'm different because I'm not going to sin. Virgin born, son of God. He spends 33 years in this earth. He never sins. That means he never lies. That means he never cheats. That means he never has a bad thought. It means he never uses a wrong word. He lives absolutely perfectly on this earth. And then what God decides to do is he willingly goes to the cross. And he says, you know what? I want to provide a way to take care of their sin. So here's what God does. He says, I will lay aside my righteousness. I will take upon me the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, everyone's sin. This is where our story starts this morning. And darkness came upon the earth for three hours. Because God the Father, now looking upon His Son, who became sin for us, has to turn away. And for the first time, God forsakes God. Because Jesus knows this is the only way. The problem is, since Jesus became sin for us, how do, how do we take care of his sin? And that's where the, the, the cross comes into play. Because in Leviticus, Leviticus, the Bible said over and over again, the only way to take care of sin is with blood. And so the Bible says that Jesus shed his blood for us. And so what Jesus does is, is by dying a bloody death, his blood covers our sin. And His blood now pays the way for God to accept Him again. Because He didn't have to die. He was sinless. He took our sin. But His blood, His shed blood covers it. And so the great story of the resurrection is that is a a, a trumpet, if you will, from God in heaven saying, I have accepted the sacrifice. I have accepted him. He is now my son. I accept 
His perfect sacrifice, His shed blood for the sins of the world. And now that brings us to us. Because you see, this is still us. Now, I believe we're born sinners. Some people don't, but I can tell you this. Remember this. It, it, do we really need to debate whether or not you have ever sinned? Because I got no, those of you who are married, it will take me all of one question and five seconds to find out you're lying. You know? Why? Because we're sinners. How much sin does it take for God to be separated from us? One. He can't be in connection with this. See, and there are religions, and here's what they teach you. They teach you that, look, here's what you do. You do a whole bunch of good stuff, and yeah, I know you do some bad stuff, but when you die and you stand before God, whichever one's bigger wins. And if you got more of this, then you get to go over here. And if you don't have more of this, well, sorry. How much of this is it going to take to keep you separated from God? I don't care if this is the size of the globe. This is all it takes. And he says, look, I have made a way for you. It's not going to be in your righteousness. It's not going to be in your goodness. But what have you noticed on the stage that's not being used? This. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you have a choice. You can spend your life on this earth, and you can die, and you can stand before God like this. And you know what God's going to say? The Bible's very, very clear. Depart from me. I never knew you. No. I don't know you. However, I also have a choice. And that I can come to God, and I can say, God, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I realize there's no way I can clean myself up to make myself acceptable to you. But God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. And God takes his righteousness and he puts it on me. And now we're like this. He calls this eternal life. We think of eternal life like when we die. No, 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 no. This is what God wants for all of us. This is original intent. This is us walking in fellowship with God, choosing the very best things for our life. This is what I want for all of you. This is why I came. This is why there's an Easter story. This is why there's a Christmas story. Because I made a way so that now when you die and you stand before God, what does he say? Welcome. Why? Because of the righteousness of Christ. Listen, there are some of you who have put your faith and trust in Christ, and you still do not get this. You still don't get the fact that when God looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
He sees the fact that your sins are covered. They are buried in the depths of the deep sea. They were removed as far as the east is from the west. They are taken care of. They are done. You don't have to drag them off. But Satan, for those of you who are Christians, you know what he does every day? He goes, peekaboo. Remember, you do that. You can't live for God. Hey, don't forget about that. Hey, guess what? You shouldn't be doing that. This is what God sees. That's the Easter story. That's the reason there's a cross. That's the reason there's an empty tomb. And God didn't have to do any of that. But he loved us enough to say, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way that they can have eternal life. And each one of us is faced with a choice. You can stand before God like that. And you need to understand, the Bible is incredibly clear. No one comes to the Father but by me. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we do this and this and this and this and this? And I'll say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. But think about it for a minute. If I put my faith and trust in Christ, and I am clothed and covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, when he looks at me, whose righteousness does he see? Help me out here. Whose righteousness does he see? Christ's. So what is he going to do with Christ? You can do it his way, or you can do it your way. That was the original choice of Adam. And thousands and thousands of years later, you and I sit here faced with the same choice. His way or our way. And I beg you to understand this story. You go, well, God's loving. He will accept everyone. Really? You think he's going to put his son and his son's going to go through all of that? And he's going to let you reject the blood that was paid for your sin and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and say, hey, that's okay, no big deal. There is no way in the world he can do that. Because he provided a way for us to have eternal life. Two comments and I'm done. Some of you are here this morning and you have done this. You have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me challenge you with a couple of things. Don't let Satan play peekaboo all week. The Bible says he's an accuser of the brethren. The Bible says this is what he does. The Bible says this is what he takes great delight in. And unfortunately, we're so gullible, sometimes we fall for it. We have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God sees Christ when he sees us. And the challenge for us is that when we go into the world, then we go to work tomorrow, then we talk to our neighbors, that they see Christ in us. 
That's our goal. The witnesses that came back, what do you think they talked about? The witnesses that came back after the resurrection, let me tell you something, they talked about a risen Christ. They talked about how their lives have been changed. They talked about the power of the resurrection. They didn't go back and go, hey, well, I got nothing for you, man. You couldn't keep them quiet. Why? Because they understood the power of the cross and the power of an empty tomb. To those of you that you're here this morning and maybe that's the first time that you've ever heard something like this, or maybe you're here this morning and you've been taught a whole different way, that you've been taught you can like clean up this black thing and make it like kind of brownish and appeal to God, one sin. You can't earn this, you can't buy this, you can't bargain for this. The only way this is offered to you is as a gift. That's the only way. Because no one's going to be able to say, well, I did this to get to heaven. What kind of place would that be? No. We're all there because we've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I challenge you this morning to understand that if you were to take your last breath today, if you were to get in your car and have an accident this week, or if you were to live to be 130, If you stand before God in your sin, he has no choice but to say, depart from me. And if you believe in a heaven, you have to believe in a hell. Hell was never created for people. Hell was created for Satan who said, I don't want anything to do with you. And when God says, depart from me, there is no other option, folks. You don't just like go into limbo and float around. And you go, well, I can't understand that a loving God would do that. No, no, no. A loving God did this. This is what a loving God did. But if you do what, Satan, what, what Adam did and chose to reject God, he has no choice. You've tied his hands. But he provided a way. When I was 16 years old, I was living in Detroit, Michigan. And here's what I did. I said, Lord... I realize I'm a sinner. No question about that. I had a sister. Okay? So, got a sister, you got to pick on her. Okay? So, you know, plenty of sin there. Uh, so, I was a sinner. I realized that. God, I realize that you died in my place. That your blood, that your, the cross took care of my sin. I realize that, God. I acknowledge that. And I believe that. And we're as best as I know how as a 16-year-old kid. I'm asking you to forgive me of this. To come into my life. To be my Lord. To be my Savior. To be in fellowship with you. Because God, this is what I want. And the Bible says at that moment, my whole world changed. I didn't think so. I was a 16-year-old kid. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like fireworks or anything like that. But at that moment, God said, you are now my child. You are now my son. You want to get really crazy, you read the book of Ephesians. You know what it says? It says, I'm seated with him already in the heavenlies. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm not going to heaven because I'm married to a saint. <laughs> it's going to be great because I, I go home to three of her sisters and going, Saint, well, let me tell you what. Um, going to heaven for one reason the 
righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you go to heaven, that is the only way you will go. Any other way, God says, I will say, depart from me. I don't know you. And it is my prayer. It is the prayer of many of us who attend here regularly. There's not a person that walks out of this building today without knowing this for sure. So um, let me have every head bowed, every eye closed for a minute. I don't want to go any further without giving you that opportunity. So if that's you this morning, yes, maybe the first time you ever prayed, you don't have to do it out loud. You just do it right there in your heart before God. But I'm going to help you. And I'm just going to tell you the same prayer that I prayed when I was 16 years old. And you can pray along with me in your heart if that's your desire. But you just pray something like this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know and I believe that you died on the cross for me. And Lord, as best as I know how this morning, I'm asking you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin. God, to, to, to give me your righteousness and let me live for you and be in fellowship with you. God, that's what I want more than anything this morning. And Lord, I'm not trusting anything else but that. God, I thank you for doing that. As the Bible says, the minute we pray that prayer, we become his children. You go, isn't it about church, going to church? No. Isn't it about like baptism stuff? No. Isn't it about like all the good things you can do? No. It's about trusting him and him alone. Father, I thank you for the cross. But Lord, the cross without a resurrected tomb is nothing more than a martyr. And so, Lord, this morning I come to you with thanksgiving and with praise that I know that I put my faith and trust in you alone. And, Lord, you've accepted me, not because of my goodness, but because of your righteousness. Lord, for those of us that have done that, I pray that you would help us to live that way this week. That we wouldn't let Satan get an advantage, that we wouldn't let Satan remind us of our sin, but instead we'd be reminded of what Jesus did. And Lord, for my friends and visitors and people who have come today, Lord, I thank you so much that they were here. But Lord, if they walk out of here without doing something about what they hear, they still stand before you lost. So, I, God, I pray that you would work in their hearts as only you can, that they would ask questions, that they would, they would come to that assurance that, Lord, they would come to a point where they put their faith and trust in you and you alone. And, Lord, we give you the honor and the glory and the praise for that. Because, Lord, there is no way we can do it on our own. And I ask that you would use this in each of our lives this day. That we'd be the kind of people that you designed for us to be. And thank you for this day for this season, for this Easter celebration that we do serve a risen Savior. These things we ask in your name. Amen.